Um, there, was a, uh, there was a release of an article on April 1st uh, of this year, and uh, I just want to share it with you. LakeTravisLifestyle.com released this, and it said this. It said, get ready for a full Lake Travis. Early this morning, the LCRA, or Lower Colorado River Authority, settled an agreement for the purchase and transport of an iceberg to Lake Travis. Do you guys remember this? It's pretty awesome. The iceberg selection team, whoever that is, has located three possible candidates that are, right, are the right size and shape to make the trek from Greenland to Lake Travis. Scheduled for the first week of May, the three-week journey will begin west of Greenland in Baffin Bay, and the iceberg will be lassoed by large towboats that will pull the massive ice cube through the ocean waters. They'll head south along the east coast of the United States through the North Atlantic Ocean, down around Florida, and obviously that iceberg will land itself in the Gulf of Mexico at Galveston. Sounds like truth to me on April 1st. So the story goes on and talks about the second half of the journey and how the, the iceberg is going to get picked up by a, by a helicopter and you can look up in the sky and you'll see it coming over in June and it'll get landed right in the main basin of Lake Travis and like you could picture it in your mind's eye like the big mouth over there by the oasis and there being a big iceberg there like yes, Lake Travis is going to be full. We're going to fill it with an iceberg. And the only downside was that they said that the water would be a little cold for the 4th of July weekend. So how many, raise your hand if you remember this story that was running around the internet. All right, so I won't ask you to show hands of uh, how many people actually believed it, but um, uh, she was here to defend herself a little bit in the first service, but my wife, she believed this story. She calls me up and she says, did you hear the news? I'm like, please don't say you're pregnant because... She says, Lake Travis is going to be full. I'm like, you're so gullible. So I didn't tell her that I had already read it, and I just let her kind of tell me the whole story. And she's like, dude, we're going to be able to look up in the sky, and there's going to be an iceberg up there coming with helicopters. She's so pretty. No, babe. They can't move an iceberg from Greenland to Lake Travis. Now, check this out. My wife always finds a way to be right. So wouldn't you have it that here we are just in time for the 4th of July weekend, and what's happened to Lake Travis? It's full. So I was telling her I was going to share this story, and she's like, I don't want you to share that. That'll make me look stupid. And she's like, she's like but you know what? She's like, Lake Travis is almost full. She's like, I think I was right. And I, I think the Lord kind of did that to me, you know, like, like I'm going to show you. I'll make her right, right in front of you. So the joke was on me, and maybe you did or maybe you didn't fall for that. But I'm sure you've been duped by the internet somewhere. I know that I have. It's kind of just the nature of, of what we want to believe, right? There's things that we want to believe that are true. And, and the worldwide web, as they call it, it, it kind of tricks us. And it, it gets us into a reflex that I want to talk about a little bit today. And that, that reflex is something that just kind of it messes with us. It messes with our thinking and it messes with our doing. You know, um, 20, 30, 40 years ago... Nobody even thought to search for an opinion on things that now we go to the internet for. We ask Google or Siri. You know, I'll take a new parent for an example. You know, you go onto the internet or you say, okay, Siri, um, how smart should my three-year-old daughter be? You know how daunting of a search that can be? Parents, you start to judge how you're doing based on what Siri says. She says to you, uh, your three-year-old daughter should be able to say his or her name and age, speak 250 to 500 words in a day. And you're like, okay, now I got to Google how in the world do I know if she speaks 250 to 500 words in a day. 
She should speak in sentences of five to six words at a time. She should tell stories correctly, uh, name her familiar colors, understand the idea of same and different. She should be able to follow through on three-part commands. Hey, I'm 34, and I can't follow through on a one-part command, so I don't know why my three-year-old should be able to follow a three-part one. She should be able to sort through objects and name their shape and color, complete age-appropriate puzzles, and use age-appropriate scissors. And now I'm Googling what are age-appropriate scissors for a three-year-old. I can't figure out how I'm supposed to know all these things, but I go to the internet. I go to the World Wide Web to find the answers. Do you guys see the danger here of how complicated it can become? You know, I, uh, she should be able to get dressed and undressed without any help. I can't do that either. There's, there's definitely no way that I'm doing that. She should be able to screw and unscrew jar lids. My wife's 34, and she can't do that. <laughs> she's not three. She's 34. She can't, undo, she can't do that. So, so we get all of this, this working up in our souls uh, about being a failure as a parent. Because right there on the list, it says that she's three years old, and she should be holding down a part-time job. <laughs> what? We take it as fact. These milestones I'm referring to it. Uh, 20, 30 years ago, nobody thought that way. Uh, they, they actually let life's experiences be what taught them. Conversations with their parents or with their grandparents or with their peers across the street. Does that make sense? And so we go to the internet and we, and we do this at a rapid pace. Uh, I'll take this idea uh, a little bit further. Um, uh, in our current culture today, we are conditioned to jump on the viral bandwagon, to accept and dismiss new trends at a rapid pace. Uh, we say this is in and then this is out, right? Things kind of come right at us, like, uh, like planking. Do you guys remember this? So it's all over the internet. People like laying down across the top of a bridge or something or on two chairs and they're just laying flat as a board and taking pictures of it. Like that's somehow oddly cool. Uh, or what does the fox say? You guys remember that song? Okay, what do, I'm tired of that song, y'all. That's got to go away because my kids keep singing it. And they're like two and three, so I ask them, what does a duck say? And they say, quack. And then I literally say, what does a fox say? And they say, ring, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> no, that is not what it says. But here's, here's the problem. So here's the deal. I'll say it like this. We are so informed by others that we forget to think for ourselves. I'm kind of setting up the problem that I want us to change. Now, is the internet, is the World Wide Web bad in and of itself? No but it keeps us out of the community library. It keeps us out of conversations about things because we can get the answer at the touch of a button. Things are here one day and gone the next. A reflex set in us to move on when we're tired of something. Very dangerous. We live in a fad, frenzied world. Pop culture says, this is in, this is out. So we roll with it. I'll say it like this with these two ideas combined. We have lost both our sense of wonder and our sense of stick to itiveness. We say, okay, Google, and we get the answer. No wonder. We take everything as fact, just in time for the 4th of July on Lake Travis. Stick to itiveness. We don't stay with anything. We move on to the next thing because pop culture says to. So these are small ways in which the bigger issue comes to light for us. And so, so we're going to unpack that today. I want to talk about four ideas, and they're, they're kind of cliched phrases because I want them to stick with you, and they are what the Lord gave me, I felt like, for our church today. Um, but 
what I want for us is for these cliched phrases as we unpack them, for them to come alive in us, to reset our reflexes, to not live in a way that we don't have wonder and we don't have discipline to stick with things. Number one, we need to learn to dance in the rain. Dance in the rain. Think about that. It's applicable in the physical sense here in Austin right now because it's raining like 35 inches a day. But think about the community in Charleston and learning to dance in the rain when a really, really tragic thing has happened to them and family members of these victims are having to cope with the loss. And I saw a video of one of the daughters of one of the victims looking into a camera lens and telling this young man that she forgives him. Think about learning how to dance in the rain in that way. Grieving for the loss of life. Emmanuel AME Church. That's our body, y'all. That's the body of Christ hurting. There's a, a word picture in that, dancing in the rain. There's also a word picture in a, in a book by Donald Miller that uh, if you haven't read, I'll suggest you do read. It's called Blue Like Jazz. I'm going to use quite a few quotes from Donald Miller actually today, so you won't have to read it when the, the message is done. But, but the idea, the premise is very brilliant. Uh, he's comparing living a God-centered life to the composition of jazz music. Just as jazz often has very few intended resolutions, Donald Miller suggests, and, and I'll agree with him, that life lived for Jesus is not meant to resolve as often as we think it is. That he's not supposed to give us answers like Google gives us the answer. We want him to, but he's not actually in our lives for that. That we should anticipate life seasons as we would the musical transitions of a great jazz tune. Doesn't need to resolve. Dancing in the rain, living in the music. So if we go from here today, if we leave today and we get a, a changed mindset about what these word pictures are for us, I believe that we'll have accomplished much. As the notes of life are being played, as my life song is being written, that I would learn to embrace the wonder of my relationship with God and my relationship with you, our relationships around. After all, what good is the conclusion of any song if we didn't ever enjoy listening to the music along the way, if we didn't enjoy dancing in the rain? Oh, I'll go this way. It's better. <gasps> I know. What? Do you? Oh, 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 oh my goodness. Oh, oh point because she wants to go again. You go again? Okay, here, here we go. go. Here we go. What? Really? 
That's great. Okay, Dad, that's enough. We love it. We love it. We love it. I love you, sweet girl. I love you. I love you. So, so uh, if you've been around for any number of months, maybe about a year and a half ago, I, I showed that video uh, in another message. And in a year and a half from now, I'll probably show it again in another message because it, it's just uh, such a great picture of that unresolvedness, right? She just wants to go again. And you can hear the distress in Casey's voice, right? She's like, oh, she's so wet, you know, like, last time, last time, you know, and like as she's... As she's saying it, I'm thinking, I'm going to just keep doing this because it's really making her mad, you know? It's <laughs> the way it is. Dancing in the rain, it can be beautiful at times there, in a picture like that, but other times it's very difficult. And it's not something we want to do. We don't want to. We want to get out of the storm. We want to move on to the next thing. James chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4. I'll read it in the NIV. It says this. This is James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. He's writing to them. He says, greetings. Or in layman's terms, he says, what's up? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. In the message version, it says, whenever your faith life is forced into the open, it shows its true colors. Think about that. Consider it pure joy whenever your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The storm produces perseverance in us, though we don't want anything to do with it. We want the answer. We don't want perseverance. We Testing is for the birds. We want resolve, understanding. So a bit of a vulnerable moment for you. My, my wife was in the first service, and so she was here, and she didn't know I was going to talk about this, but something that's happening in us right now is we're learning how to be parents, and we're learning how to love one another and stay passionate, stay focused, stay communicative in the middle of raising two babies and getting five minutes of sleep a night. You know, in a very real way, this week was hard. You know, uh, Wednesday night, our youngest of the two, she started throwing up in the middle of the night, and so you're changing her sheets, and you're trying to figure out how to uh, get her back to sleep, and then she throws up again, and you're changing them again, and then 18 hours later, we realize it wasn't just something she ate, and so the second one's throwing up in the same way. And uh, within moments, I'm like, man, man, they must have both got something. Casey's in the bathroom throwing up, and we're trying to figure out, like, how to stay focused on one another. But you, you, like, you, like, go to your end, and you don't have anything else to give, right? And you're like, that's not a big deal. You have no idea what's going on in my life. Well, let me take you on our date, okay? It's a vulnerable moment for me. Last Tuesday, when I say date... That meant, meant that Casey and I, we were in the same place at the same time without the girls. That's what, that's what dating is. Uh, lately, because of where we are in our communication, they've felt more like counseling sessions, to be honest. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking at my wife, and we're sitting together out at a picnic table across town. So romantic. And she looks at me, and she says these words, and I'm just going to let you in on my life a little bit. 
my beautiful, endearing, empathetic wife, if you know her at all, she looks at me and she says, so I see you caring for so many people all around us. But then at times it feels like you don't care that way about us, about our marriage, about, about working on us. And so she was wrestling with the idea of like, so is this real? Like, is, it, is, is the real you the one that doesn't want to talk about things, that, that just wants to look past them or, or to, you know, I stay quiet kind of when I'm angry, when I'm not sure what to say? She says, is this real or is, it, is the real you the one that opens up around other people and helps them through their mess? Because I got to know. I was like, ah, that hurts. But what my, what my wife was doing is she was, she was letting me in on her journey. These were here from last service, just for me. So I want you to know something. Obviously, as I'm sharing it with you, we're not in trouble. We, we are madly in love. In first service, I danced with her on this stage. And I do it again this service. But, but we are in a season that's rough, that's hard on us. It's not easy for us. You know, before we had kids, on every day that ends in Y, we slept in. And not the case anymore. And so we have to make life about these two little ones. And real life stuff and circumstances kind of leave us without the energy to make one another priority. Have you ever been there? But what we know that we know, that we know, is that we got to dance in the rain. I don't need to ask Google how to fix my marriage. Did you know that taking Google's word for it is not the same as taking God's word for it? So to start making better choices, we decided we were going to work on our, commu our communication in a different way. And then we relied on scriptures like this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. This is after Paul talks about love a bunch. And it says, now we see things imperfectly. Everyone say imperfectly. Perfect. Like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, everyone say then, yes. we will see everything with perfect clarity. Thank God. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, everyone say then. I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. And then in verse 13, it says, these three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. So dancing in the rain means that you try to make that come true. I don't need to know the answers. It's complex. It's uncertain to me. In fact, I, I do know people that have lost hope, don't you? That have fallen out of love. Maybe you have. You know, another vulnerable thing for me. My, and my family, between my two parents, there's six divorces. It's a real deal. Fighting for relationships. We'll talk about that in a bit. But Casey and I have decided we're going to dance in the rain. We're going we're gonna to make sure that we prioritize in a different way. And you have to have those long, hard talks to make those decisions. So I'll ask you... What do you do when life is kicking you in the face? When your beliefs are being challenged, when your relationships are falling apart, 
when you're about to get married for the first time, or maybe you're getting married for the fourth or fifth time, when you're adjusting to having your first kid, or maybe you're adjusting to having your fifth kid, God bless you all if you have five kids or more. What about when you get fired or when you get fired again, when your car breaks down or when the other car breaks down? You guys know that feeling? I hate cars, by the way. Where are the horses when you need them? This is dumb. Cars. So are you dancing in the rain here? Or are you anxiously, bitterly trying to figure out how to make it stop? Remember, in a world that we don't have to hold on to anything, that something's in one day and out the next, we're not practicing the reflex of stick-to-itiveness, the lessons being learned in the storm. Number two, I think in order to change our reflexes, we need to learn to embrace mystery. The mystery of God in specific. Here's an idea for you. With God, I believe that we can settle into a type of surrender that embraces all that we know about him right alongside all that we will never know about him. He is far bigger and far greater than even the thought that's just past the one you can have about him. He's huge. I think of the Chronicles of Narnia, and there's a, a quote in that movie where Lucy asks of Aslan, is he safe? Do you remember that? He says, is he safe? And to the response she gets, no, he isn't safe, but he is good. The great king, the lion king, he's not safe, but he is good. Isaiah 55 Verses 8 and 9 says it like this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's bigger. He's greater. Oftentimes, I might pray in this way. I might say, Lord, I do want all that you have for me. I'll go where you say go. I'll do what you say do. My life is yours, but please, no unanswered questions. Nothing for me to have an imagination about. I want to comprehend it all. We say, I don't want mystery. I want an explanation. We say, okay, God, as if we would say, okay, Google. Why is this happening to me? How long is this storm going to last? When is the sun going to rise tomorrow? I think we'll spend the rest of our lives in this struggle, and it's intended that way. To, to want to know God and to understand Him, but then for Him to just be bigger than we can actually wrap our minds around. So our prayers ought to be, Lord, teach me to dance in the rain. Show me what's in this storm for me to learn about you, about me. Lord, make these things last forever, I pray, faith, hope, and love, that I would latch on to those things. How is it, God, that you're shaping me mysteriously outside of my time frame, apart from my ideas and regardless of my goals and my ambitions, that we'd listen to the music and not try to find a resolve? Though feet may fail and fear surround me, you never failed and you won't start now. This is the way we should sing. This is why we worship, to embrace the mystery of God. Another reason that we worship, and this is the third point, is this. We need to remember whose we are. 
You need to remember whose you are. Look, this was a big one for me when I came to know the Lord. I, I didn't have a great example as a biological father. And so I had to picture Jesus, I had to picture God, the Father, differently than I did the response that my father would have to me for my failures or my faults. And so what I got as a kid, raised in church, on the eighth row over on this side somewhere, uh, you know, twice on Sunday, that kind of uh, upbringing only gave me flannel graph Jesus. You know, I'll give you like this picture. It only gave me that Jesus, right? So when I was a kid, I saw him like that. And as I kind of became a teenager and started to grow up and started to want to know more about him, when I finally surrendered to him at 17 and kind of moving into my senior year, I still I had to remove Jesus off of the flannel graph and give him full control of my life. He wasn't just something that I added to me. So, so I got into a cycle of saying, you know, hey, here's my faults and my failures, and, and I repent of them, and then I fail again. And he's not, check it out, he wasn't big enough to actually take them away again in my mind. Uh, Beth Moore, she's a, a speaker that speaks all over the world. She, she says it this way. If you can't see yourself as royalty, you'll never really believe that he's king. So you've got to look in the mirror and say, I accept the royalty that God places on me. Take him off the flannel graph. Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. I want to read this in the message. It's this, it's this passage about, uh, it's not I who live, but Christ in me. And it, in the message, it's so beautiful. It says, what actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. Anybody been there? I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, but it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be, a, so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do that. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I am no longer driven to impress God. Why? Because Christ lives in me. The life you see me living now is not mine, but it's lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going back on that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to the old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God. What a great idea. I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. So to reset my reflexes, to reset our reflexes, we've got to take the idea of Christ being in us to the next level. And he's not just something you add to your life. He comes alive in you, and guess what? We die. The end. I'll give you a word picture in this book, The Blue Like Jazz. Donald Miller says it this way, I can no more understand the totality of God than the pancake I made for breakfast understand the complexity of me. Check it out. I can no more understand the totality of God than the pancake I ate for breakfast understand the totality of me. Here's a pancake right here on a plate. What do you think that pancake can understand about you? It's a dumb thought. You know that it cannot. So we see ourselves as more than this. 
But according to Galatians, it's only because we have ego. In reality, you're dead. When you take Christ, you don't have to do anything on your own. He lives in us. So for me, I had to stop treating God like a human that would have human responses to my human mistakes, and it changed my thinking. It changed my worship. You know, like another little vulnerable thing here, sometimes when I'm worshiping here, did you know that I'm standing up here and I'm like having these passing thoughts of doubt of like, do I really believe that about him? It's going through my mind's eye, like, like okay, I, I know I'm surrendered to God and I've been living for him for a long time, but is this real or are you just having an emotional thing, Marty? And guess what? I have to say, it is Christ who lives in me. I am dead. And you remind yourself. You reset your reflexes to remind yourself whose you are. And it's what keeps you moving. It's what keeps you going. It's what does what? It keeps faith, hope, and love lasting forever. Some of you are still like thinking about pancakes. You're hungry. Number four, and I'll end with this one, and then we'll go home and take a nap. Number four, I think in order to reset our reflexes, we have to believe that relationships are worth fighting for. Would you agree with that? I know they're complicated. I know it's not always that easy. I know that sometimes it's that somebody gave up on you. I get that. But in our world, in this world wide web, we have the reflex to give up on things and trade it in to go to the next thing, to believe that the grass is somehow greener on the other side. It's not true. The grass is not greener. It's probably getting stuck in my beard. Imagine that. <laughs> the grass is not greener on the other side. We all know that phrase, but, but what about you know, the, the one that is on the T-shirt probably, but the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. Well, that's not an epiphany. It's just a law. It's a law of planting seed and harvest, right? So, so when I look into my marriage and there's negative fruit coming up, I, why so shocked? Shouldn't I just look back and see what kind of planting I'd been doing? And so then what causes me to give up, check this out, what causes me to give up on that relationship is that as I'm saying, okay, I'm going to change my mind here. I'm going to plant new seed. We don't really want to reap the harvest that we planted back here. We just want to start over like right then. That's not how it works. It takes time for that to come back up as good positive fruit. We have to believe that relationships are worth fighting for. They're not in today and out tomorrow. I hear word now that like beards are on their way out. Do you see how dangerous that is for me, y'all? <laughs> That's going to be a problem. Like, there's going to be like baby soft white skin underneath here and a gerbil is going to fall out and I'm not going to know what to do with myself. Beards cannot go out. I'm committed to it like a relationship. That's right. So can I give a hard message here? I, I want to talk a little bit to wives and I want to talk a little bit to husbands. But to both, to all of us in real life relationships, stop making excuses and get out there and water the grass. Here's a, here's a parallel for you. We talked about dancing in the rain. Did you know that it's not just your watering 
of the grass on purpose that makes the grass greener. It, it's also the storm that can make the grass green. So you're in a storm. Let it do its work. Don't endure it. Don't wish it away. Embrace one another in it. Romans 5, verses 2 through 5 says, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Everyone say sufferings. sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces, and there it is again, perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. This is, this is that idea of planting. These are the pro, pro, uh, this is the production of it. That suffering actually does something that causes perseverance, and then that per perseverance character and character hope. And it says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Again, we are His. He's been given to us. So wives, you're in a struggle right now in your marriage. You got to go back and you got to try to find that Prince Charming again, Prince Charming again, the one that swept you off your feet. You don't have to expect him to change only. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a leaning in that I want you to do, that I want you to commit to, that's countercultural, that's not in the world wide web. It's God's word that we would take sufferings and we would lean into them. I know he's not the same. He's rounder than he was and more gray hair than he had. But we got to try to uncover that thing again to make it come alive. Don't start calculating the fastest and easiest way to start over. The grass is not greener over there. I promise. Remember? Six divorces. Not my own. Now, husbands, same story. You remember her. You said your vows through those broken tears and cracked voice, and you probably hadn't even had your voice drop when you got married. And she wore those big puffy pads on her shoulders, her wedding dress. Looked like a linebacker. She was hot. <laughs> Men, I'll say it for you like this. It's back to the Donald Miller quote, but I'm going to change it a little bit. You can no more understand the totality of your wife than the pancake that she made you for breakfast can understand the complexity of you. They're complex, women. That's right. So you say to yourself and you're saying to me, well, you don't know our situation at all, so it's easy for you to say. You've already checked out. You say, he's just not the man that I married. Newsflash, you're not either. You're not even supposed to be. Scientifically, it's proven that you're not the same. Donald Miller quote, you ready for it? The human body essentially recreates itself every six months. Well, how cool. Nearly every cell of hair and skin and bone dies, and another is directed to its former place. You are not who you were last November. This is what Donald Miller says in Blue Light Jazz. You're not who you were. She's not who she was. Why? Because you exfoliate. <laughs> Your skin comes off, and new skin comes out. Embracing mystery. Not trying to find every answer. Learning to dance in the rain. 
knowing first and foremost that even if I am starting over or I have started over or somebody gave up on me, guess what? I know that I belong to Christ and he is in me and I can believe for a hope in a future that is bright. I don't have to take second best. He can give it to you again. But you've got to reset your reflexes to fight for relationships. Is this resonating with you? Are you, are you understanding what this is happening? Because look, this isn't just about marriages, y'all. So, you know, you're like, the way you treat your friends now, singles in the room, it, it's going to play into the way you treat your spouse. Are you there in hard times? Are you, you just want it to be all good and party? Stick-to-itiveness, we got to get to that. What about in our body? Stick-to-itiveness in this way. Uh, you know, we, we spent a Sunday talking about getting in a group over the summer, and some of you may have started them, and some of you uh, are planning on joining them uh, when you're in town and the summer's kind of hit or miss. But connect with other people. Like, if we commit an entire hour and 20 minutes hour and 40 probably for me today, sorry. If we commit that much time to talking about how important groups are, it, it is something that we're wanting the body to take on because it's good seed to say that you're going to pour into somebody else. It's not actually about you going to the group so that you can receive. It's about you going to the group because you have something to give. On team one, the people that serve around here, that are at the doors greeting, that are out in the parking lot setting up signs, you, you know, that doesn't like happen magically. This isn't our building. We lease this space, and so there's a setup crew, and there's a teardown crew, and there's a whole bunch of crews in between. And if one travels your home, I say you should be on team one. No exceptions. This is me talking. You can email ross.parsley at onechapel.com if I offend you. But, <laughs> but, but what I'm calling us to is, is discipline, is in your household, you never say to your teenage daughter that she doesn't have any chores to do. And you say, well, wait a minute, I'm not your teenage daughter. I, I understand that, but we are a family, you know? And we can just let 10% of one chapel's congregation do 100% of the work, or we can lighten the load on one another. And you can come to next steps, and you can learn about how to serve on a team. Or you can just go online and fill out the Team One application because you're going to do something today with Dad. He's going to go take a nap, but you think you're going to do something with Dad today. Why? Because many hands make for light work, and light work makes for light work. So I'm letting you in. Uh, I have strong belief that One Chapel is going to be a multi-community church, that we're going to have communities in Kyle, Buda. We're going to have a community in Dripping Springs. We're going to have a community up north. We're going to have a community downtown one of these days. But if we can't like make church happen here where everybody's committed to being on team one and serving here, I don't know how we're going to do that. It's like ross.parsley at onechapel.com. I'll say it again. I'm not trying to offend you. What I'm trying to do is help us see and be aware that really with team one, if you've been on it in the past and you're like, man, it's just too much work, we're trying to put the bar down here at a point where you can just serve two times a month, every other week, for the length of an hour and a half, and then you can go home. So some of you in this room, I'll call out some of the men. If third service is like your service, we need you on the teardown team in real life. 
In real life, there is, every other week, there's a group of three guys. They do it together, and it's taking them way too long. It's not on them. It shouldn't be just them. Do you hear me? Like, like of those three guys, one of them does it every week. Long term, that's not good. Now, he's found a little girlfriend in that, and they're going to get married one day, and it's going to be awesome. Maybe you need to find a girlfriend, so you should come. <laughs> Ross.parsley at onechapel.com. It's not going to come up on the screen, but here's one more quote from Blue Like Jazz. Donald Miller says this. He says, other people keep our souls alive just like food and water does to the body. The enemy will try to convince you that you can do life alone, that you don't need anyone, that you can sit in the back, you cannot have deep conversations, and you will be okay. Your soul will dry up, I promise. We need one another. It's the way he intended it. So fight for relationships. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to put your notes down. I want you to just do a little soul searching. I want you to self-reflect. Maybe there's a, a moment or there's one or two places here today where you've really felt like the Lord is speaking to you. And so I want you to kind of highlight those, those thoughts, those, those, I'll call them heart pricks that happened for you. And, and we're going to go to communion. And I want us to go with this idea that as we get up and we come forward to, to take these elements, I'm going to pray over them first and all that. But I want you to do a soul search here with your eyes closed. And I just want you to think about that next step that you need to take. Maybe it's in a relationship and you need to have a hard conversation. Maybe it's the way you view yourself and God and you need to let him become Lord of your life and not just something you've added to the mix. And so when you're doing this, when you're doing this soul searching, I'm going to pray a prayer that actually uh, would, would lead us to say that, hey, as I get up from my seat today and as I take that first step towards these elements, that this would be like courage in action. That, that God would give you the courage to then go from here and, and do that necessary thing to help reset your reflexes. To help you move closer to God and closer to the ones that you love. And not further away and to isolate into depression and to self-absorbed thoughts. And that's going to be my prayer, that these elements come alive in us in that way. And then the band's going to lead us in a song and we'll get up and move to our right like we normally do. And so let me pray over the elements. If you just kind of put your hands up, just kind of in a posture of receiving. And so I'm going to pray, Lord, I pray that you would give each and every individual the courage to take the next step, to move in the right direction and to not stay stagnant and to not stay where they are, but to go toward you, that they would move toward the light that they'd recognize whose they are. They'd remember to dance in the rain no matter what storm they're in, to embrace your mystery, and to fight for relationships. So as we come to the table, we accept your body broken. We take the blood that was shed and let it be symbolic to us today to remember you, to remember how great you are and what you did for us. In Jesus' name.